0: There was a big article about us in the wall street journal on thursday half a page wall street journal half a page and basically i can give you the last line of the article was what a great idea i wish it worked this is startup stories from the
1: startup nation my name is yigal marcus thank you for joining us in this podcast We'll meet the entrepreneurs who have personified the economic miracle known as a startup nation, the state of Israel. We'll learn about the culture which helped incubate them and their ideas. We'll learn of their successes and of course their failures. And we'll explore why it is that Israel develops some of the leading innovators of our time. When you look at the landscape of businesses that have attracted massive valuations from the markets, Data-oriented businesses are near the top of that list. Think about it. At the end of the day, what fuels the growth of companies like Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, and Google is the fact that they collect massive amounts of data about consumers and then very effectively monetize that data. Well, in the world of business-to-business transactions and sales, data too plays a critically central role. And companies that can mine the relevant data about prospective customers, analyze it and organize it, are likely able to then monetize it. And that is exactly what a company called Zoom Info did for the highly lucrative business of lead generation. Today, we are very fortunate to have with us Jonathan Stern, who is the founder of a company called Zoom Info. Chances are, if you at any point searched for a person or a company online. One of the first search results that you'll find, if not the first, will be a result from ZoomInfo. And Yonatan built ZoomInfo into a company which ultimately he sold for almost a quarter of a billion dollars uh, to Great Hill Partners, which we're going to get to in a minute. Uh, He earned his BS and Master's in Computer Science from Technion University in Haifa, He served in the IDF for five years in a unit called Unit 8200, which is the elite intelligence unit. And he was a major actually. And he was awarded the presidential medal for his technical achievement and for contributing to the country's security. In the past 20 years, he has founded four companies. The first company he founded was a company called ServiceSoft, which was formerly sort of called Roche Intelligent Systems, where he was the president and CEO for 10 years. In 1993, he founded CardScan, formerly Corex Technology Company, and uh, there, too, he served as the CEO and president. In 2008, he founded a company called Bizo, uh, which he actually founded out of ZoomInfo, which he also sold separate from this transaction for, I believe, $175 million. In 2000, Yonatan uh, founded... Zoom Info, which he built uh, in Waltham, Massachusetts. And uh, despite being profitable at the time of the sale, uh, it's quoted that Yonatan de- decided to sell Zoom Info at that time in order to transition his life back full-time uh, to Israel. Zoom Info uh, is one of the leading B2B data companies and is currently being used by 300,000 regular users, 100 million Business emails have been generated, 18 million company profiles, 48 million direct dials. It's a gigantic, gigantic uh, depository of data that is obviously very, very valuable for for companies. In fact, Inc. Magazine in 2006 called Zoom Info the world's most comprehensive and accurate B2B data provider. Uh, First of all, Yonatan, thank you for joining us today. I I very much appreciate it. And um, I wanna start with A little bit about you. You really consider yourself more a scientist than you consider yourself an entrepreneur.
0: Both. Both. Okay. (laughs) Let's say I spend more time being an entrepreneur than scientist, but I still see the way I look at the world as a scientist.
1: Got it. When did you begin your fascination with computers?
0: It actually started in high school. I was tremendously fortunate that our math teacher studied Fortran and decided that he wanted to be a software engineer at the time it wasn't called the software engineer it was called a programmer and as he studied it he decided it would be a great idea also to teach a class in school and i was part of that class in school that he taught programming and we got some ability to run programs in hebrew university and the weizmann institute and i was the gopher which means uh, I got all the coding sheets from the pupils and I rented to the university there. They punched it. They ran it on their mainframe and I took the printouts and brought it back to school. So I was the gopher. But then a year or two later, um, the high school rented our building to a newly started college, technical college, Mahon Lev. Sure. And as part of the rent deal, they also had a computer there for their students, and we were allowed to use it in the mornings with one condition. They didn't want kids playing with the computer. So they wanted one person to be the designated operator. And since I was the gopher, I was highly qualified already (laughs) to do that. And that's how (laughs) I started my fascination with computers. It was an IBM 1130. So, was
1: that the size of a room, or? No, no,
0: it was the size of a washing machine with a dryer, okay? (laughs) The dryer was the disk, it was a five megabyte disk that was 14 inch, very big, and the computer itself had 16K of memory. Wow. 16K of memory. So I learned how to be frugal with memory.
1: So, So, basically, how much more powerful is the cell phone in our pocket than the computer that you started
0: learning on? I wish that I had the same ratio if I put a dollar then and, you know, (laughs) what it would be today. (laughs) Yeah, it's just mind-boggling for people who have gone through the entire, you know, growth of computing power and memory. Where did you grow up? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. I was born in Jerusalem. My mother was born in Jerusalem. My grandfather was in Jerusalem. So I'm a seventh generation Israeli. Wow.
1: So, you grew up in Jerusalem and you went to obviously the high school there, and, and ultimately you, uh, you joined the IDF. Yes. And that was before. No, no I went to
0: the Technion. I was uh, in academic reserve.
1: So, you were at I was at Tudah. Got it. So, just for our listeners, one of the options that um, a very unique selection of students have uh, in Israel is instead of being drafted into the army immediately after high school, those who are, um, are gifted can have uh, be given the opportunity to go to university first, paid for by the, uh, by the IDF, by the army, and then you would have to pay back, so to speak, in service for five years. Five years thereafter. So okay. you, you, you joined that program yes. uh, from Technion, and, and then were served five years, and you were in Unit 8,200. Now so you finished, the, you finished the, uh, your army service,
0: and then what? So when I did my master's degree, I did it with Professor Shimon Evan, uh, Lava Shalom, you know, he died of cancer a few years later. And well, so we were pla- planning on, you know, I will continue with him. He, he was uh, researching algorithms, which was a very uh, high interest for me. And our plan was that I will continue with a PhD and will become uh, hopefully a professor at the Technion. But uh, in the army, I met a guy called Shlomo Dovrat, who is the son of Aaron Dovrat, which at the time was the CEO of the largest conglomerate in Israel called Klal. And Shlomo wanted to start a company, so he tried to convince me to join his company while he was still in the army. And I wasn't very interested in that. So he arranged for me and others to meet with his father. And his father gave us a big speech about why being an entrepreneur is so interesting and we can make a lot of money and I can be a professor then, he says.
1: This is before, you know, the Startup Nation. This is before Startup Nation, before
0: anything. There were only two, three companies in the high-tech industry. Wow. The high-tech industry was Cytex with Effie and El Sint with Avram Sukhami. And the investor was Elvon with Zuzia Galil, and I've just counted the high-tech industry <laughs> in Israel. Wow. That was it. <laughs>
1: so he tried to convince you to join it, to start a business, and... And what
0: happened? Yeah. So what happened was Shlomo was in the army.
1: <laughs> Hard to start a business when you're in the army. <laughs> right.
0: So he said, why don't you guys go and start a business? And it was me and another partner called Palti. And we said, well... We don't know anything, but we don't. We know how to write software. So how about if we start a consulting firm to write software? And we said we specialize in complicated, sophisticated software, because that's what we did in the army. So how about we do um, this kind of software? It's called embedded software, usually software that is embedded into machines, like an X-ray machine or an RMI machine and so forth. And so, We didn't know anybody because we were in the army, so we decided we were going to write a letter to the high-tech business in Israel, which was mainly El Sint, Cytex, and Tad Iran, and a few other uh, military or (coughs) defense companies. So we typed about 20 letters, and we sent the letters to the right people, who we thought were the right people, and we sat and waited for the phone to ring. And that was my first lesson in marketing. If you wait for the phone to ring, you're probably going to die. Eventually, you <laughs> eventually. will die from not ring. <laughs> and because we didn't have money, we sat in Ira's apartment. And when the phone rang, we looked at one another and we said, no, 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 I don't know what to say. So you pick up the phone. No, you pick up the phone. And when I pick up the phone, obviously, it was a call for his wife. <laughs> so. But then after a few weeks, to our utter surprise, we got a call from Il Sint. And they said, well, if you know what you're doing, how about you come in here and we'll give you, we'll talk to you. And we got the first job from El Sint and started getting more and more jobs. And I learned that if you don't go out and sell yourself, nobody's going to come to you. So that was lesson number one. We grew that company to about six or seven people. We did mostly software development for other companies. And then Shlomo Dervat came out of the army and we decided we're going to build a Product company, but we had no idea what the product should be.
1: The first company was
0: Wash Intelligence Systems, yeah. same name. Yeah. And then we came up with an idea which was around the service industry, and it was a technology on how to diagnose complicated equipment. Complicated equipment is like MRI machines or ion implanters in the uh, industry, and so forth and so on. And so we developed what you would call today artificial intelligence machine to do diagnostic of complicated equipment. The technology was really, really great. Um, We had uh, several big customers like Xerox and Varian and uh, Philips Medical and others. And um, we needed money to run the company. So we went and we raised money from uh, Uzia Galil and that was uh, lesson number two, how difficult it is to raise money and all the strings How much did it. you want to raise? We raised it, what you would call today seed financing. At the time, there was no notion like that. So we raised $700,000. Wow. And Ron said, and you need to hire a CFO. I said, why do you want me to hire a CFO? I would like to use that money to develop the product. And they said... No, you're going to hire a CFO. And I said, what for? And they said, because we want to get financial reports every month that we can trust. So you're going to hire a CFO. So lesson number two was when you start a company, you better have strong financial reports so you understand what you're doing. So we hired a CFO, very, very good guy. And we um, started to develop the product. And then... We wanted to raise more money and the investors said, you know, we really want to get some market validation to what you do. Why don't you go out and start a beta program and let's see who you can sign up for the beta program. So we went and we had like very successful trip in the US. We visited like 25 companies and about 10 of them said, yes, we would love to be a beta. And we were tremendously elated and had a very successful beta and the company grew very very nicely but not as fast as i wanted it to grow and what made me very very angry was that at about the same time there were two other companies that started in basically the same industry but what they did was something very trivial they basically built a crm for field service organizations so that you can you know track where uh, like, a sales force. like a Salesforce, Like right? yeah. a Salesforce. Why? except service, forced, okay? service the, force, and okay. And they <laughs> tracked like calls, they tracked where your technicians are. And most importantly, they tracked the inventory. Because if you think about a big MRI machine and a technician shows up there, he's not showing up there with a, you know, solder and try to fix it. He pulls out a board and he puts a new board. Each board is worth maybe $10,000. So he takes the, what he thinks is the faulty board, and he puts it in his trunk. And he takes a good one, and he puts it into the machine, and he hopes it works. So tracking that inventory turned out to be very, very important, because you know we heard from our customers that they had maybe $50 million worth of inventory sitting in car trunks. Wow. Now, why do I tell all of that? I tell all of that because when we did all of these visits... We neglected to ask a very simple question. When you go to a potential customer and you ask them about your product, they're very polite always. They say, yeah, that's very interesting, that's very important, yeah, it's amazing, wonderful job, yada, yada, yada. When you ask them for the money, they say, yeah, we can think about it. The entire story changes when you ask them to sign the purchase order. When you ask them to sign the purchase order, then you realize that they have a budget and it wasn't in the budget, and that the budget represents their priorities. And you neglected to ask all of these questions. That when you go to somebody, you ask, do you have a budget for what I'm doing? And the answer will probably be no, because what you're doing is innovative. And you say, so what else is in your budget, and why is it there? And if we asked that question, we would have figured out that doing a CRM, for field service, would be much more <laughs> lucrative than doing right. what we did, <laughs> but we didn't know. So lesson number three for you know, a would-be entrepreneur is ask all the tough questions up front. Ask for the money as early as possible, because that's the first time you're going to hear the real truth about whether people are going to spend money on your product or not.
1: And that's how you vetted the service or...
0: No, I didn't use the same logic that I preached
1: <laughs> You learned from the experience.
0: <laughs> I learned. So when I started Zoom, then I had an idea. I wanted to build it, and it was just uh, an academic interest in it. it was, I, I admit that I remained a professor, so I wanted to build a machine that can, or a computer program that can read and understand the internet. Now, obviously, that's a very complicated thing to do. So I said, how about if we narrow it down to something relatively small, which is understand information about companies and the people working in those companies. So we developed a technology to understand free text about that subject, only about that subject, as well as extract information from websites. So most companies have a website, and if you go to their website, you can extract a lot of information if you understand how the website is structured. For example, if you want to know who is the management, you will go to the About, and the About, you will look at our leadership, our management, whatever, the team, click on it, and then if you see Jonathan Stern, CEO, you make a deduction that, okay, I'm on that website, I clicked on these links, I see CEO, I assume he's the CEO of that company. Except for a little problem, we had 500 CEOs to fortune because you go page by page and they say IBM CEO or whatever, at right. and CEO or right. whatever. And we neglected to understand that when you go to magazines, they might have a page for the CEO of another company. So it shows you that even understanding simple structures of websites is not as simple as people think.
1: Or if you go to the board of directors of many companies and those... Directors are also CEOs of other companies. There may be a...
0: Exactly. There's lots of complexities. But in any event, it was a really interesting thing. But um, learning from my mistakes in the past, I said, okay, we invested a little bit of money. We invested about a half a million dollars to develop the product. And I said, we need to start generating revenues. This is a Zoom info. Zoom info. We need to start generating revenues. So we hired uh, a salesperson I knew before. And I know he's really um, a maverick and he figured out, he cracked the code and we generated a million dollars in revenues in the first year of sales uh, and we figure out the industry that we want to sell to, which was the recruiting industry. We're talking about 2002. That was you said recruiting, recruiting, wow. recruiting, job, recruiting, job, recruiting. And the reason was, which was pretty obvious at the time, That was way before LinkedIn. So if you wanted to find people, say, give me a list of vice president of sales in software companies in the Boston area. Good luck. Didn't exist. Didn't exist. So when recruiters, I'm now talking about, um, you know, people who do active recruiting, not people who get resumes, um, they had no tool to do research, none. And there was a huge need. So we're talking about when you want to recruit executives, not when you want to recruit a programmer. And executives tend to be on the internet. So information about them was out there. It just wasn't organized in a database in a way that was easy for people to find. So we became a really hot commodity in the recruiting industry, the executive recruiting industry, because of that. So pretty much every executive recruiter used our product, and the company grew very, very fast.
1: Wow. But just, but I, I was going to close out, um, before we continue with ZoomInfo, because there's a lot to talk about there, obviously. Uh, in terms of Russian intelligence systems, so you ran it for about 10 years?
0: No, I ran it for about, as I said, there were two companies. So the company that raised the money from Uzia Galil started in 1985. Okay. And in 1992, I left. And the reason I left was that the company was perennially losing money. So we were growing, but our expenses were growing faster. So when I left, we were doing about $4.5 million, and we were still losing money. So I wanted to make a big difference in the company and say, you know what? We should basically cut back on our expenses so that we become profitable, because we can't continue to raise money all the time. That was not acceptable to the board and to the investors, because, and that's a very important lesson for any would be entrepreneur. What you want to do in terms of your personal lifestyle or or strategy and what investors want to do are two very, very different things. I wanted to have a profitable company that I don't need to spend 60% of my time raising money and I can spend that time improving the products, the marketing, the organization, and keep growing. Investors wanted, we want a very big company. And if you can't do that, then we will just close down the business. But we only want winners. We don't want people who just build nice businesses. We want winners.
1: So you left and then you started uh, another company.
0: Yes. So I left in in 1992. Took a few months to recover from the experience and decided that I'm going to start a new company, but this time use all the lessons that I've learned. Um, And the lessons were be very careful from whom you raise money and how you do that. So I came up with the card scan idea and um, got a set of small angel investors to put about a quarter of a million dollar in it and started working. And obviously, I thought that I am a big genius who invented something that nobody else invented. But the core technology was an optical character recognition software, OCR software, which I didn't want to develop. There were vendors who were doing it. So I called the vendors and I said, I'm interested in licensing your technology. And they said, what for? And I said, mm, I can't tell you. And I said, oh, well, in that case, we can't uh, license it to you. I said, okay, I'll tell you. I'm going to develop a business card reader. And they said... Ah, okay, you are like X, Y, and Z, right? There's a long line of people who already called us and have licensed Yard. And by the way, we also do the same thing ourselves. So very quickly, I realized that we have about 10 competitors, and one of them was actually introducing a product about a month after I started thinking about it. So that was pretty humbling. I can imagine. Yes. So I went back to the developer. I had one developer because I was frugal with money, learned the lesson. So I went to that developer and I said, listen, we have a little problem. And he says, what's the problem? I said, we have about 10 competitors and one of them is going to launch a product in about two months. He says, oh, that's not a problem. I said, what do you mean it's not a problem? He says, well, if we can be the first, we'll be the best. And that's lesson number four. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> if you're the first, you probably are wrong. If you don't have competitors, you're probably in the desert, right? Just try to be the best. So that's the model that kept the company growing all the time. We were by far the best product on the market.
1: And the product was what it would read business cards,
0: understand the text, put it in a database and the beautiful thing about a database that I'm not talking about 1994, 1995 was quick search. There was a little search box, and as you start typing, it would find any record that matched anything in what you typed. What today you take for granted.
1: I was about to say, today, you know, you go into your computer, you type, you know, you begin typing it. That didn't exist in 1994. Didn't exist.
0: Totally didn't exist. People bought a piece of hardware and our software just for that stupid feature. Did you patent it? <laughs> no, but we called well, it lesson quick number five. <laughs> we called it quick search. Okay, no, That's I great. didn't think about you know the uh, what do you call it the one button order you know from Amazon. Right. Uh, no, we didn't patent it, but it was by far the most talked about feature of our product. In addition to the fact that you can take any business card. Stick it in in any direction you wanted, you know, upside down, inside out, whatever you wanted, and it figured it out by itself and did a really good job. If I have time, I can tell you another story about marketing, which um, I think I've. It was a deep learning. So we sent it to people to review, and one of the people that we sent it to review was Walt Mossberg, who was the tech reviewer in Wall Street in Wall Street, Wall Street Journal. Sure. And kind of considered about one degree below God when it comes to, you
1: know. Well, he he himself could make or break companies. Absolutely. He had that credibility.
0: And there was a big article about us in the Wall Street Journal on Thursday. Half a page, Wall Street Journal, half a page. And basically, I can give you the last line of the article was, What a great idea. I wish it worked. Ouch. Ouch so on saturday i go to the synagogue and i meet my friends and they all come and say oh we're so sorry you know really what he did to you that's not fair and i said listen did he write about you no he wrote about me so that's already a big thing, right? There's a half a page article about us. In and most people don't read the last line anyway. They anyway, just, they, they go through the first two thirds of it, the last line they. Uh, so ignored. I called Walt Mossberg and I said, Walt, you know, this is not fair what you did in here. So we have a lot of happy customers, a lot of happy customers. At that time, we had about 10,000 happy customers. A- and, you know, they don't complain like you complain. So what's going on here? And he said, I'm telling you, your product doesn't work. It just doesn't work. I said, "Well, I have to come and talk to you. He says, okay. So I fly to Washington. I meet with Walt Mossberg. I walk in. He calls his assistant. and He says, Linda, come on. Give me some business cards, but really good ones, you know, to show this guy how it doesn't work. I said, wait a minute. Well, that's not fair. You should pick, you know, just a sample. He Ra- said, random. He yeah. said, no, you said it's 98% accurate. So I want to show you that it's far from being 98% accurate. Linda, bring me those cards. And they were cards from hell. You know, it was an embarrassing meeting. And then after he proved to me I have no idea what I'm talking about, it's not 98%, he sent me out. So on the flight home, I was thinking to myself, how come people buy it and are extremely happy? And Walt Mosberg sing that we are Piece of crap. And it gradually dawned on me that really the problem is with us in our positioning. The way we position the product for review is just wrong. The way we talk about it is just wrong. So I called the people when I came to the office and said, we're going to change the way we present ourselves. From now on, when we, sell the, when we send the unit for review, here's what we're going to do. We're going to write a very short letter and say, here's how we want you to review it. Pick 50 business cards, any ones you want. Type them into Word. Just sit down and type them into Word. Then take the same 50 cards and put them into card scan and tell your readers what you think. That's it. Don't tell you anything beyond that. And it was like, you know, you turn the light switch on we started getting reviews of saying, this is an unbelievable product. It's perfect. Ah, mistake here and there, but don't worry about them. It's really working. So I said to the people, listen, the product is the same product that Walt Mossberg said it doesn't work. The only difference is we explain to people that it gets the job done because now they understand the job. Nobody, I can assure you, no reviewer ever sat down and typed 50 business cards. Just the thought of that made them sick to their stomach. Then they put the 50 cards into the scanner and lo and behold, in five minutes, they had a whole database with quick search. And that made the difference. So that taught me a huge lesson about marketing. Wow. And what what happened to the company? The company kept growing, and I got bored. And 1997, 98, 99, everybody's talking about internet. And they asked me, so what's your internet strategy? And I said, my internet strategy is continue to sell card scan and make a lot of money and be as happy as can be. What do you want from me? It's a business card scanner. (laughs) So... (laughs) So we developed a product actually for the internet. And what it did was, it was a precursor to ZoomInfo in that sense, it built a database of contacts for you. It sends email to the people to update it, a lot of stuff that uh, today, again, you see a lot around us. But the bug of thinking about what I can do with the internet uh, stayed with me. So I was thinking, what can I do with the internet? And I realized that there are two things that the internet is going to change in the world. Number one, it connects everybody to everybody. And I know nothing about That was before
1: social media oh, that was, was even discussed. That yeah, wasn't even that, a term in 1999-2000.
0: But but it, but it was clear that you can, on your computer, go and see any website in China, in Japan, in, in South Africa. So it was clear that you have access to the whole world without even knowing where they are. Second, I said, it's going to be one huge publishing house. You know, everybody's putting information. And yes, there are search engines, but the search engines usually can't answer questions, okay? If there is a page with an answer to your question, they will find it, hopefully, but they cannot not go beyond that. To go beyond that, you need to understand what's on the page. And I said, okay, but that's, a, you know, an impossible mission. Let's narrow it down. And that's how I came to something that has a business model, which is information about companies and people. But the real impetus was just a scientific inquiry into, can we build something that will understand it and organize the information? CardScan was sold? CardScan was not sold. I, okay. brought in, I ran the two companies in parallel for four years. Wow. And they were doing very well. But then I wanted to go back to Israel. So we're talking 2004. Then I brought in a uh, president to run scan, and he sold the company in 2006. To who? Noel Rubbermaid. Really? Yes.
1: Clearly, you could see the obvious, the uh, obvious connection. <laughs> connection between. And that's lesson
0: number five, right? So Noel Rubbermaid bought the company, and then they said, oh, we know how to sell. We don't need you guys. So we were commanding very enviable margins in, you know, CompUSA and Office Depot and Office Max. They looked at it as we are now going to sell, you know, paper and um, pencils, and they shrunk their margin dramatically, and it became not very profitable. And they didn't understand why. So, the whole that was that. Yeah. But you're on to better things. You was on to other things. I didn't.
1: Think. Was the exit price at least uh, worth? Uh, oh yeah, the pain?
0: I mean. I, I mean good money. I'm not complaining and the investors made good money and everybody was happy.
1: This concludes part one of my interview with Yonatan Stern. Tune in next time for part two, where we'll do a deeper dive into how Yonatan built ZoomInfo into the wild success that it became. You've been listening to Startup Stories from the Startup Nation. I'm the host, Yigal Marcus. The associate producers are Moshe Raps and Avi Maklis, and the Senior Research Analyst is Leo Levin. If you have a startup story that you want to share with us, feel free to reach out to me directly. My email is yigal.marcus at bernstein.com. Or you can also reach us at startupstoriesisrael at gmail.com. Until next time, thank
0: you for listening.